We've been caught up in the fun, sorry. <laughs> we were going to arrive eventually, we promise. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, I'm assuming My Lighthouse was playing just a few seconds ago, and we have heard that song again and again and again and again this week. Every time the pickup of ninth graders would go by, my lighthouse, my... I mean, just sang it and sang it and sang it with such joy. It was amazing. It is our official anthem. Oh, yeah. I think oh, yeah. Lock, just lock it in. So yeah. cool. So I'm going to start by just letting you start. Talk about the week. Boom. Gosh, go. Oh, well, if, if I could describe the week in a picture, uh, it, it's of Nick Verchek. Nick, at the beginning of the week, walked up to us and said, you know... I have a lot of energy, and I don't get tired, and I'm, I'm not going to get tired this whole week. And then on Thursday morning, <laughs> there's a picture of him all mush-faced, and then head down on the table, and I walked over, and I go, Nick, you tired? He goes, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Let it me was... just say, for those of you that might be newer, so we take the students, junior high and high school, up to a conference center about four hours north of here, and the first part of the day is just hard labor work. work. Yeah. The second part of the day is fun, 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 then a meal and teaching and more fun afterward. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we hope every time and pray every time that it is life-changing and I'll tell you what, I th I've never seen so many of the kids cry, to be perfectly honest. It's just, it was, it was a life-changing week in every possible way. Yeah, big, for the adults included, uh, that were involved included. Go ahead. Big week for crying. Uh, <laughs> a lot of that ha was due to the, the way that we structured the week. Um, we actually had five of our own leaders give their testimonies. And so, I mean, if they were in with, I, I only got to see three of them. Um, so if they were in with Bob or Michelle, I mean, I know that the tears were just absolutely flowing. Uh, but it was, it was a really, really cool week where kids, I think, got the opportunity to, to understand what a testimony is and what it's all about. And we talked about killing spiders. I don't, it, was, it was just an amazing, amazing week. Uh, ended with, on uh, Thursday afternoon, ended with a, a slip and slide. And let me tell you, Benji, Benji Knowles, so he broke his leg. I just um, found out from his mom that he went on a slip and slide. If I had been there... I don't know that he would have. It was all wrapped up. I, it was that's good. That's why I'm not everywhere. <laughs> so Benji, Benji with a broken foot, has got a cast on, and he literally is with the, the crutches running up to the edge of the slip and slide and then diving. And it was so cool because we had uh, Seth Fry. Seth I was brand new to our group. And he took it upon himself. He goes, can I, can I be the Benji pusher? <laughs> so he made sure that Benji made it all the way down to the end by going down and pushing it through. Uh, uh, th but that's the spirit of the week. Yeah. It's just togetherness. Yep, yep. And we had so many, so many different opportunities where, where we were able to just be all together doing one thing and, and having a riot with it. So, uh, man, I, I, I don't know. We, I could go on for the next five days about this it, trip. It was, it was mind-blowing. Yeah. It, was, it was truly amazing. And, yeah. I, you know... You talk about Benji, I mean, sitting out there watching the one night, I'm in the car just kind of having a coma, but I wanted to see you guys playing wiffle ball on the, on the, on the uh, basketball and tennis court, and, um, you know, I'm watching, and, and Benji comes up to bat, and I think first swing, right? First swing, he yeah. cracks one, and someone else runs for him, and, and then you got Michael Kuchar, walk-off home run, boom, amazing. I mean, just, it was incredible. In your face, Brian Papp, it was, it was 
And then even like, what you, you poured water over his head, and in the video, he comes away screaming, and I'm like, yeah. I didn't know Michael could scream. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. So good. Yeah, well, so the thing, good. not to pick on Benji, but Benji is a total turncoat, okay? We gave him... <laughs> We gave him an at-bat for the adult team, and what did he do? Celebrate with the students. Unbelievable. That's, that's the Just best. <laughs> that's the best. There were so many. I, I think, you know, our goal, we had many goals for the week, but one of them was after a year of just messy, nuts, bad, yuck, we wanted normal. And everything about the week was just, it was normal. And I think for me, and this is where, I tell you what, um, they talk about after you've had, uh, if you have had open-heart surgery, uh, Ron Richter can tell us whether this is true or not, but after you have open-heart surgery, you're, you're emotional. You, you tend to cry a little bit more in your emotions. And I, I think God did open-heart surgery on me this week. I can't stop crying. I can't. It's every time I'm wondering how this, you know, we're going to be here three hours today if I have to get through these words. But, um, you know, just watching throughout the week, watching faces, watching joy, to be able to watch, you know, Kira and Callie give a, a Frozen concert. I mean, they're just, they're singing it out and everything else. And watching, watching that, um, watching that wiffle ball game and just seeing kids cheer and their faces light up. But then I turn my head over here and, and, and Gracie and Georgie are dominating the dudes on basketball. I mean, they're just, I don't know if we have wimpy dude basketball players <laughs> or if we have just stud monster girls, but they were like, they were dominant. And I'm watching Gracie play, and I'm telling you what, it didn't matter who came on the court. Boom, she smacked them down. And she didn't stop. She just kept going and going and going. It was nuts. Watching kids work and be so happy. The, the last night, you know, I wake up in the morning, and we got to pack up, and I go, oh, shoot. So one of the kids, Robert David, organized this whole dance dance thing, and it was crazy, watching him and Ellie and, oh, my goodness, Gracie and Claire and everybody out there just dancing and having fun. Go ahead. He had this plan to have a Just Dance. <laughs> just Dance is a, a game where you, you listen to a song, and you watch motions, and you try and repeat the motions that you see on the screen. Robert David, at, uh, this is on Thursday, after all the work, all the play, I think he was up there for three and a half oh, hours. Oh, no word. No kidding. Every no kidding. song. Just, I mean, and I'll bet you if we asked him, he could pop up here and do it again. It was <laughs> unbelievable well, energy. I'm, I'm, I mean, watching, just... <laughs> I'm watching one of the songs early in the day, and he gets done. And these kids are screaming for him like yeah. Elvis, Elvis had just flipped his pelvis. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was nuts. It was crazy to watch them just screaming for him and cheering for him. Uh, it was, it was, it was not, but they had organized the whole room into a little theater. And I woke up going, oh, shoot, I got to go down and fix all that. Ugh. And, and I come down the elevator, and it is in perfect shape. And, and, and Wes and Andrew, who had stayed up all night long, reorganized the room. Just Without because. being told, you know, hey, you guys need... To. So many kids yeah. took initiative on things this week. And I know some of you are thinking, I wish they'd do that at home. It, it, but they did. Who cares? They did. <laughs> they did, and it was amazing and wonderful. Yeah. It was just incredible. Everything... You have created such a, an amazing culture in that group. Gratitude to... I mean, to have, to have kids thanking us for work or to have a group of kids come up and say... Um, I heard you're only going to be speaking for 20 minutes. We want 40. <laughs> Who does that? I mean, adults here are like, oh, this is getting on. Right. 
you know? And then we had all these, you know, we had the Buckthorn Brigade. They weren't necessarily cheerful about Buckthorn. <laughs> Buckthorn's a mess. What are you going to do? But then we had the Scum Suckers. The Scum Squad was, oh my goodness, <laughs> these, these scum. So they have to go in and clean the seaweed out of the lake. And they did a great job with that. That yeah. was so fun. Yes, they did. Oh, I think, my word. I think Jenna took home a pet. <laughs> a full, <laughs> full nasty, like, yeah. And one of the funnest groups was that, that group of, I think it's 10th and 11th grade boys, or 9th and 10th, I can't remember which, who were our destruction crew, and they were just going around breaking things everywhere. All this stuff that needed to be torn down, sledgehammers in hand, it was so cool, so cool. <laughs> I love my role for the week because I don't get assigned a particular work group, I just get to go join one, and in years past, I've popped around. But this year, there was so much cool stuff to destroy that I really stuck with those guys. And <laughs> so, I mean, we, we got to wreck a lot of really cool stuff. Dave, <laughs> Dave Papish drove around with the garbage girls. Oh, yeah. They were the best. Yeah. I mean, these girls, they fell in love with Dave. They had the best <laughs> time. And, and the Scum Squad and Mike yeah. Miller, I mean, yeah. they were just, it was so fun to see our kids connect with the adults, but the way it brought life into the, mm. into, the, into the lives of our adults. I mean, our adults are just like raving about the connections they had with the kids. So much, so much positive, so much good. And I'm, I'm honestly so thankful for that because there are a lot of churches, you know, in talking with other youth pastors, and um, there are a lot of churches that, that do look at kids as just, you know, we'll just make it through, you know, we, we can't really use you, we can't do anything with you. Um, and that is just not they the culture of Southfield. They did significant projects. And, yeah. and the, the yeah. Green Lake staff, Ben was energized. Every staff member was energized by the week. Mm -hmm. you know, they've not had people there. So to see the place teeming with life, just it brought real joy to the place. I almost forgot we found a new drummer. Oh, my goodness. This is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> Alex, Alex Trular just sat down at the drums one day. I, I, He's 12. 12. I was going to say 11. Yeah. But 12 years old, sits down at the drums and just starts playing. And Shelly's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like pretty good. And he's like, no, no, I'm just like, you know, I'm just kind of picking around. By the end of the week, he was playing with the team. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was just unbelievable to have this 12-year-old and like didn't know the song. He did not. He was just ad-libbing. And it sounded great. <laughs> like, it was I really mean, really oh, man, good. so, it so, so really, much good came really from this good. week. Really oh. unbelievable. I know, we could go on, and for some of you, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. No, I'm telling you what, it was, it, there's never been a week like it. Yeah. It was just, it was phenomenal in every possible way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we sent out last night in the update that that was, that, I mean, I'm just, I'm moved. I'm really, I'm genuinely moved by the experience we had. So um, we're, we're going to be turning the corner to Quest. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. Not today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I need a nap. Just need a nap, and thanks for your faithfulness in giving. You're just so good at that. So online, black box at the back, mailbox, however you do that, uh, keep, up, keep up your faithfulness in giving. So I want to <clears throat> transition to communion. And as we do, uh, we're going to do communion first today. And, and just tell, tell about an experience that I've not had a chance to tell you about yet. But um, <clears throat> I had... We had a meeting of parents and students at, what, 2.30 last week, 2.45, 3 o'clock, we send them off, and then I still had a major league to-do list to get done, including, you know, marking out some things for Jim with the sidewalk, which, by the way, that's, uh, wow, I pulled in this morning, I'm like, oh, man, this thing looks amazing, such good work, but... Um, 
I had to mark some things out for him. I had to go home and, and cut, mow the lawn. I had to pack. I had to pack tools, all this stuff. So before you know it, it's like, I don't know, it's like 7 o'clock, and I'm finally getting in the van, getting ready to go on up. I know it's going to be getting dark. And um, <clears throat> drove, drove, to the, um, drove to the Wisconsin state line, and, and I was reflecting on something that I said to the leaders earlier before we left. Yeah, just giving, giving them some thought, and, and one of the thoughts was we talk a lot about wanting the kids to experience transformation, but, but I said, pay attention, pay close, pay close attention to the transformation God wants to do in you. This isn't just about seeing kids transform. This is a week. Sacred spaces and time away is, is a way for God to do something in our hearts as well, and so talked about that, and as I drove to the Illinois line, I thought, okay, uh, I told them to do that. What about you? What about you? What, in what ways are, are you looking for God uh, to transform you this week? And, and honestly, you know, getting to the Illinois line, I was just exhausted. Nothing was really coming to me, and I'm just, you know, but I really wanted to see God do some heart surgery on me. I'm, I'm you know, it's been a long year. I want to see something new and fresh. And um, there's a song that Shelley introduced me to a little bit ago by Stephanie Gretzinger uh, called No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus, which some of you are familiar with that title and think it's the old song, but it's a, it's a twist on it. And um, I may end up having to have you do some reading here, but um, if my life could tell a story, if my life could sing a song, if I have a testimony, if I have anything at all, or in other words... If I'm known for anything, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. His faithful hand has led me all the way. When I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known in you alone my joy was found. Oh, my joy, my joy was found. And it's funny because for the first couple of minutes of listening to that song, here early in July, we're going to finally be doing the memorial service for Janet Swank. And I listened to the song, and I thought, Janet, if Janet had known this song, she would have owned this song. This is what she would have wanted to be known for. And so I'm thinking about her, and then, and then I'm like, well, what does God want to do in you? And, um, and what I did is I put that song on repeat. So started playing it at the Wisconsin line, and I'm not kidding, it played constantly until I pulled into Green Lake. For two hours, I listened to this song over and over and over and over and over again. And um, sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you need to lead a, let a message sink in. And that line, let it be known in you alone, my joy was found. And, you know, it's not that I've been unhappy. I'm not unhappy. But it was easy this year to just put your head down and push through. It's been kind of a joyless year. I, when you can't see spaces smile, you don't, know, you don't know if they're happy or if they're cursing at you under that mask. You don't know. And so really what became my prayer as I pulled onto the conference grounds was if my life could tell a story, if my life could sing a song, if I have a testimony, I want it to be known that my joy is found in loving Jesus and serving Jesus. And so to have all these experiences through the week of, you know, 
watching a Frozen concert or, or watching a dance con uh, contest or watching a wiffle ball game and watching the joy on faces. I can't tell you how many times I just sat there watching and smiling and realized, wow, I'm smiling. I'm smiling big right now. There was just, there was joy that seeped into my heart with being with everybody throughout the entire week. And um, I don't know, I guess the question is, what do you want to be known for? And for so many of us, I think we think we want to be known for our great accomplishments. What's the chance that you might be known for your relationship with Jesus? What's the chance that you might be known for the person who just found joy in knowing Jesus and living for him? And honestly, I think as, as we look at the week, it wasn't just joy in a, in a wiffle ball game. It was... There was, you could see kids really wrestling with their relationship with God and finding joy in, in the place that it truly has to be found. So it's a five-minute song. I've not listened to it enough. So we're going to be playing it during communion. The words are going to be on the screen as it plays. And I hope that you'll listen to it and ask yourself the question, how do I want to be known? And my goodness, I hope it's something more than simply a, a, an accomplishment you had in this life or a position you held, but it'll be about the relationship you had with Jesus. Now, let me just say one thing. For those of you that are watching live at home, we can't play the music, okay? We don't have the license to do it over YouTube. So you'll see the words. It's five minutes long. Go get a drink. Come back. And we'll be with you in five minutes, okay? Communion is at the tables at the front and the back. Gluten-free is on either side of the, uh, of the stage. And uh, just give us a moment to get things uncovered for you. And then as the, as the song is playing, feel free to go communion. But really reflect on the words. Pray that it would be our greatest aspiration in life. That the, when the final words are spoken of us, those words would not be about us, but they'd be about Jesus. They'd be about the fact that that man, that woman, they weren't like everybody else. And it wasn't just because they were smarter or more hardworking or, or more life of the party. But there was such a, there was such a depth of relationship with God that they were saying, you are still enough for me. You're still my only love. And because of that, constant joy flowed from our lives. I pray for the commitments made on the part of our kids this week, for the spiders that they have determined to kill. Already as they come home, they're confronted with this stuff that was, that was easy to avoid while they were away. But there it is again. And not everybody is on board with the changes that need to take place in their lives. And, and some people are actually the ones that drag them into the, the bad stuff. Pray for your protection on them, your love for them. That we will have a generation from this church that stands for truth, that stands for righteousness, that will not, will not back down. Always killing the spiders. In Jesus' name, amen. We move from that meaningful moment to uh, 
Bob or somebody turn off the pump in the back room because we're going to hear that all morning long every time somebody runs water. So I come from uh, a family that by these day, in these days would be considered large, and yet being a Catholic family, we were not very large. We only had four kids, four kids in five years, and my mom uh, was the primary caregiver for us. My dad you know, went off to work, and when he came home, he was exhausted, so my mom had a lot of the focus. She didn't have a job outside of the house until I got to eighth grade when our, when our church started a school, and, and so in order to pay for that private school, uh, she worked at the school in order to defray the tuition. So um, every once in a while, I, I remember clearly days that, that one of us would ask, what's for dinner? And she would say something like this, and I'm sure you heard something like this from your parent, you'll eat what I put in front of you. You'll eat what I put in front of you. That was kind of her way of saying, I really haven't had time to think about it, but um, you're going to eat what I put in front of you. And it usually involved, you know, a can of baked beans or something like that. Something that, mm, mm, thanks, mom, that's good. But, you know, it had been a long, busy day. So you come to this morning and you think that I'm going to give you a, you'll eat what I put in front of you kind of day. Because let's face it, it has been a busy week. And it's not been a week for a lot of quiet and reflection. And, and honestly, the thing that was the most brutal was the heat. I mean, everybody that was out there, and I, I understand you all had heat here too. I mean, being out in that heat was just absolutely exhausting to the point that by afternoon, you know, you're trying to give instructions and you're delirious because of the, the heat and lack of sleep. So there is temptation on my part this morning to just say, why don't we take 30 minutes and be quiet? But but I really think God has something for us today. I really believe that God has a message that he wants for us today that is more than just a can of beans pulled from the cupboard. We started last week talking about biblical discernment. The fact that we're always to be discerning. We're always to be trying to figure out the difference between right and wrong, truth and error. We're always to be trying to figure out, God, what next step is it that you want me to be taking? What's the path that you want me to take? How do you want me to walk? And so, and so we, we, we started looking at this because we, we live in an era right now that, that um, Christians and churches are really breaking down in the area of biblical discernment. We're really, we're really not getting it right. We're, we're buying into and adapting the world's values so much, so quickly that we're just, we're just pushing the Bible aside and what the Bible has to say. And we're going with the ways of the world. Some of us will say things like, well, my values are evolving. Here's the thing. The Bible's values don't evolve. God wrote them and put a period at the end. He didn't write them and say, oh, and by the way, they, they'll evolve throughout time. No. These are the values of the Word of God, period. That what is written is written. And we have so much information coming at us all the time. And the, and the part that's sad is we don't know what to do with the information. And so what we do is we let the information transform us and change us instead of looking at the information in light of the Word of God and determining, is it truth or is it error? Is it right or is it wrong? So during June, we're looking at the topic of biblical discernment, how to know the difference between right and wrong. And how to know, God, what is the next step that you want me to take? Today we're going to look primarily, primarily at this concept of, um, this concept of knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And as we do, um, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the things we did this week, touching on part of it. So 
you know, you guys, there are little parts that you can have a rest. Not all of it, just little parts, okay? Unless you didn't listen the first time and then, and then you really need to hear it again. Uh, in the Bible, we understand that we have a, a holy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And um, as you read the Bible, you also discover that there is an unholy trinity. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It says, For you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. There's the first part of the unholy trinity. The ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, in those who are disobedient. That's the second part of the unholy trinity. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And there's the third part. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions and sins, it is by grace we have been saved. So we have this holy trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we also have the unholy trinity that's commonly referred to as the world, the flesh, and the devil. And what we need to be able to do as believers is to know the difference between the source. Is the source God or the world? Is the source Jesus or the flesh? Is the source the spirit or is the source the devil? Which... Now, looking at those phrases, it's important to see them right now, up front, right there, because the first one says the ways of this world. I taught the kids some Greek words. The Greek word for world here is cosmos. The cosmos is the world, and by the world, he's not referring to the earth or the globe, but he's talking about the thinking and mentality of the world. You might, you might put here the philosophy of the world, the philosophy of the world that is constantly shifting and constantly changing. It's a philosophy that stands in direct opposition to God the Father. God the Father is the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. Because he's the creator, he wrote the instruction manual on how to use the machine. He, he says, here's the way that when life works best, this is the way you do it. And yet some of us, we all do this, right? There's the instruction manual for the machine, and then there's the way we decide we want to use the machine. Whatever we buy, we decide there's another way to use the machine. And we do the same thing with our own lives. We decide that we're not going to listen to the instruction of God, but we're going to listen to the ways of the world. We need to be able to know the difference between the two. God the Father and the world are polar opposites. And he wants us to be pursuing him and not simply pursuing the ways of the world. Then you see the part about the ways, uh, the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient. This is the devil. This is, this is Satan himself. And Satan stands in stark contrast to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing everything he can to empower you to live a life that pleases God. And Satan is doing everything he can to destroy the fullness and satisfaction and joy that God wants you to experience as a Christ follower. He is just, he's a constant wrecking ball trying to take out everything that God wants. The third there says the gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. This is classically referred to as the flesh. And the flesh stands in stark contrast to Jesus. I love this. Jesus came 
And he lived 33 years in a physical body and showed us that it's possible to be a human being and say no to our flesh. The flesh is described there as our cravings and our desires. That's our flesh. The cravings and desires that we allow to take control of us instead of being controlled by God himself. So, you have the Holy Trinity and you have the unholy trinity standing in stark contrast to each other. And and what I want to do is look at the world, the flesh, and the devil and understand them a little bit better today because as we understand them, we will start to develop the, the taste of discernment. Remember we talked about discernment last week that it's not so much a, it's not so much all in your head knowledge, but it's heart. The, the Psalm uh, 119.66 uses a word that actually is translated in other places, taste, instead of the word discern. We develop a sense for what is right and a sense for what is wrong because we're being guided by the Holy Spirit of God along the way. So first we look at the world. The world is interesting. The world impacts us in a way that uh, we don't realize we're being impacted. We were talking at Green Lake about some of the water towers around the property, concrete uh, structures that were built over 110 years ago. And there are cracks in them now, and the minerals in those buildings are starting to actually, when the water is coming through, they're seeping, and they're forming those little stone icicles. Remember stalactites? They're actually forming. Within only 100 years, you have these stalactites forming in these places. And then you have stalagmites as well. If if people weren't walking on them, they'd already starting to be towering a bit. But instead, you just see these flattened areas where the minerals are starting to to come up and form. And and you see the formation of these. And as you start thinking about how they're formed, not the content of them, but the method of their formation. How are they formed? A drip at a time. Drip, 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 drip. It just keeps going. Drip, drip. Drip, and it keeps going. Drip, 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 drip. And that's exactly the way the world works. The world keeps trying to convince you that it is right one drip at a time. Yesterday, I'm uh, checking my email, and I got my my weekly uh, Chipotle email. And I'm I'm supposed to have fun on Tuesday as we celebrate with pride Drag Queen Tuesday at Chipotle. All kinds of different drag queen burritos that I'm going to be able to go eat. Drip, 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 drip. And you know what's funny? Drip, drip, drip. Ten years ago, 15 years ago, you'd have said that will never happen. That's crazy. Drip, drip, drip. And devoted Christ followers are buying into it. Devoted Christ followers are turning their back on the written word of God and saying, but you just don't understand. You just don't understand. The designer of our bodies fully understands. And he wrote an instruction manual and said, this is the way we're supposed to live. Drip, drip, drip. But we're evolving. Drip, drip, drip. We're getting wiser. Drip, drip. We understand things that they didn't understand 2,000 years ago. Drip, drip, drip. You get it? I won't keep doing it. I know it's annoying. The drip of the world. 
is constant. And it is forming us. It's forming us. It's shaping us. And we're letting it shape us. We're letting it shape us instead of fighting against it. We're letting it shape us instead of having the courage to say, not to the world, not to anyone else, to have the courage to say to ourselves, I believe what the Word of God has to say. You know, I've commented in the past about, about the whole idea of, of climate change and the, and the existential threat. We have, we have national figures telling us that if we don't change quickly, in 10 years, the world will cease to exist. It'll be done, over. We'll be, we'll be worm food because we kept driving our cars. I, for me, this isn't about, you know, again, I don't like pollution. I like, I like to drink a clean cup of water. I don't want garbage everywhere. I get that. But, but then I turn to the Bible, and, you know, 2 Peter chapter 3 says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. We are there, folks. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will just be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Are you getting what he's saying here? He's saying, if I can say it this way, God is the existential threat. God's the one who's going to say, ball game over. Not your, not your combustion engine. That's not what's going to take us out. When, when people talk about climate change and about the existential threat, it's not that I don't believe that bad things could happen. It's that I've read the word of God and God is the one. We're actually trying to say, we're God. This is what the world does. We're God. We can wipe ourselves out. Rather than the God of the universe who said, no, that's my job. I'll be doing that. I'll be doing that. You're not going to take that. Now, what I love about this, because so often when we start talking about the end times and everything, people are like, when is it going to happen? And blah, blah, blah. You know, I remember when Gorbachev was, uh, was premier in Russia, and people were looking at his birthmark, trying to figure out if it had a 666 somehow in his birthmark. I mean, we get all obsessed with that. Here's what, here's what Peter says. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives and look forward to the day of God and speak it's coming. The day will bring about destruction of the heavens with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, my friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. He says, this knowledge is supposed to lead to transformation, righteous living, so live that way, knowing that God is in control of all things. There are so many things in our world right now, folks, that are drip, drip, drip all the time, whether it is social media or news or wherever you're getting your information that are a constant drip that are standing in direct conflict with the Word of God, and yet we're buying this. It doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's social justice, whatever it is, what does the Word of God have to say? Not the latest book written by some Harvard person professor what does the bible have to say because it speaks to these things genesis 1:28 i love this god says be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it we live in a time where people are saying we got we got to decrease the surplus population man we got to make sure what does God say? Rule over the fish of the sea, the bird of the air, every living creature that moves on the ground. He doesn't say to destroy the place, but he says eat it. Use it. I gave it to you as a gift. Enjoy it. 
God in the world stand in contrast. And, and the only way you're gonna, the only way you're gonna get this one down is if you have the personal courage to believe the truth. Not even to speak the truth, not to do it, not to post it, but to believe it yourself. To believe that what God says is actually true. How about the flesh? The flesh is constantly drawing us to do the wrong thing, isn't it? I mean, it's constantly drawing us. Our desires are constantly drawing us to do something that's wrong. And the funny thing is, the flesh is actually a good thing. God implanted cravings and desires in you for a purpose. Do you know that God makes you hungry so that you'll eat? I know some of you, if you didn't have the craving to eat, you wouldn't eat. That is not me. All right? I'll eat even when I'm full. But like Kim, I, I, I honestly, if she didn't have that moment of going, whoo, I'm hungry, she'd just keep going. She wouldn't know it's time to eat. God gave us the craving to eat so that we survive. And some of us are trying to survive more than others, right? Because our craving becomes our addiction. Our craving goes out of control. I, you know, Sex is not a bad thing. No sex, one generation. We're all gone, right? That's it. It's for the survival of, of the world, quite literally. But what have we done with it in our generation? We've turned it into an utter perversion and an obsession instead of the purpose for which God created us. Work. The desire to work is a great desire, it's a great craving. It gives you it gives you the money to leave and it gives you a live and it gives you a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in life. But for so many work becomes workaholism. It becomes our identity. It becomes a fulfillment that was not intended. Jesus comes to earth and for 33 years he has all the same desires we do and he never turns them into an addiction. He never turns them into an obsession. We read in, in Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone to the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows all the desires we have. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he never sinned. Because of that, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence we can receive mercy and find grace to help when we need it most. We can turn to Jesus and say, I need your help right now. My, my, my natural desires are turning into cravings and addictions. And I want you to control me, Jesus. It really comes down to we need to say no to the flesh. And yet we live in a world, drip, 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 that's telling us never say no to you. You get all you want, and even you take theirs too. Live your desires. Live your cravings. That's you. You are not just a bundle of cravings. You are a human being created in the image of God. You are far more than your cravings. How about the last one, the devil? Some of you are like, the devil? I haven't heard about him in a long time. You people still believe in him? Bing, boop, you know, pitchfork, little shoulder. Well, I believe what Paul wrote. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood alone, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. 
There is a spiritual evil world that's fighting against us all the time, and it is headed by the enemy of your soul. And while the Spirit is doing everything he can to try to help you to live a life that is pleasing to God, Satan is doing everything he can to rob you of joy, to rob you of fulfillment. He just wants to ruin everything about your relationship with God. He wants to leave it in a chaotic mess. Even if you're a believer, he does not want you to enjoy what you're supposed to be enjoying with God the Father. And so he lies and lies and lies. It's his prime tactic to lie and lie and lie to us. And we fall for the lies. We fall for the lies about our identity. We fall for the lies about not being good enough and all the things that he's whispering to us all the time. One of the areas that, and I, I say this with great sensitivity, okay? And, and don't, don't just jump and think that I'm, I'm, I'm painting with a broad stroke because I am not. But I think one of the areas that, that Satan has been working in us in modern times is to convince us that we have no choice but live in a state of anxiety. We, we, a lot of us almost, if I can say it this way, we wear our anxiety as a badge of honor. Our anxiety has become our identity. Our anxiety has become the way we live. And Satan is whispering to us, you should be anxious be very anxious and we should there's a sense in which we kind of nurture the anxiousness in each other and we try dealing with our anxiousness through the drip 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 of the world well you just need to learn some breathing tactics do some yoga take this do whatever what does the bible say first peter 5 7 cast all your cares on him he cares for you when's the last time you turned to god with your anxiety Paul says, be anxious for nothing. He doesn't say, now there are some things that's legit, let it go. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then I love this part. He says, then the peace of God that passes all understanding. You don't even get it. Sometimes you're so peaceful. I mean, the flames are all around you. And you're so peaceful, you go, why? Because he is guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do we turn to God in our moments of anxiety or do we turn to the dripping faucet for our anxiety? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not, please, don't read this for more than what it is, okay? I'm just saying, how does God fit into this? And rather than owning it as an, as an identity, maybe we should start asking, God, what is the identity we, you want me to have in you? And how do you want me to deal with this in you? So, how do we grow in discernment? Knowing the difference between God and the world, between Jesus and the flesh, between the spirit and the devil. Well, it starts here. You've got to absorb the truth one drip at a time. Just like the world drip, 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 this book is intended to be a dripping faucet. It is intended to drip into our souls. You cannot be transformed if you're not listening to what God has to say. You can't be transformed without taking this in. Just start to think of all that you take in in this world between staring at your phone and staring at a screen and reading a newspaper and a book and all the information you're taking in all the time and then 
You look at the verse of the day for 15 seconds. Oh, that was good. Boom, you go back into the dumpster dive of the world, and you wonder why you're not being transformed. We've got to have a systematic way of working our way through and into the Word of God so that it works into us. And I know some of you say, well, I tried that before. It didn't really change me. You don't know that. I, being gone for a week and coming back and seeing the plants that I have planted, they all grew a foot. I tend to watch them every day, several times a day. They're not growing. What's going on? I go away. Boom, there it is. The Bible is alive and active, we read in Hebrews 4. It's alive and active. It's constantly doing a work of transformation in us that we don't even realize is taking place. And yet, it's not taking place if we're not taking it in outside of sitting here on Sunday morning and an occasional verse of the day. We've got to be systematically taking in the Word of God. Paul said it. We've seen it so many times. Saw a tattooed on a kid's arm this week. Don't be conformed to this world. One translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our minds are renewed by taking in the Word of God. And by hearing the word of God and saying, that's not what the world is saying. Is the world right? Is God right? The book is right. God is right. Hebrews chapter 5 said, solid food is for the mature, but by constant use, they have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You're not going to be able to distinguish good from evil if you're not constantly using the book. You say, well, I don't understand it all. Neither do I. There, I, I can't, there are some courses I can't wait to take from the Apostle Paul. And those Old Testament prophets, man, I'm going to be in those classes. There are things I don't understand, but I live what I do understand. And you keep growing as you keep learning. You've got to absorb the truth one drip at a time. Second, you've got to engage with truth tellers and truth seekers. I, I almost said you've got to surround yourself with like-minded people. I was like, no, that won't do it. Because we are, we're kind of sickos this way. We find people that agree with us. We find people that think the same way we do. We eliminate all the people on Facebook that aren't quite agreeing with us. And before you know it, we got a nice narrow path. Just us that think together this way. No, I'm not surrounding my pe myself with people who think like me. I'm surrounding myself with people who think like Jesus. Surrounding myself with people who have the mind of Christ. People who are truth tellers and truth seekers. And they're telling the truth and they're seeking the truth in a way that is covered in love. You know, sadly, what's going on in our times, people are buying into the drip, drip, drip and they're telling their friends lies. Comfortable lies. You're made that way. You have no choice. All these lies, they're telling them these lies instead of lovingly telling them what the Word of God has to say. It is love to tell the truth. Now, we can tell the truth in a way that is not loving. That's not it. It's not to be abusive and use the, the Bible as a baseball bat. But if I withhold the truth from you, how am I loving you? How am I loving you? I just wonder how many people at the day of judgment are going to look at us and say, why in the world didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me the truth? You've seen it many times, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. We need some truth tellers and truth seekers in our lives. The third one, live the truth we already know. 
I looked this up, and it's attributed to so many authors. I'm not a tr- I said it. Okay, I don't care. I mean, so many people have claimed they said this for the first time. Most Christians are well-educated way beyond their level of obedience. Man, we know the Bible. And we don't live it. We know what the Bible says about a marriage relationship. We know that the Bible says we live apart and sexually apart until we get married, and then that comes. And as Christians, we're even saying, well, it's not really that way anymore. Hmm. When did this change? I'm sorry. I, 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 missed, I missed God's rend, uh, uh, editing. I missed his change. When, when, did, when did he change on this? But we're evolving. Biblical values do not evolve. They do not evolve. We're living beyond what we know. We're living at a level of a disobedience that is not in line with what we know. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You think you're so Christian. You know. But are we living it? He says we've got to live it. And, and here's the thing. When we choose not to live it, the Spirit of God is the one that is helping us to develop the taste to discern right and wrong and good and evil. And when we choose to not live what we know, you know what the Spirit of God says? I'll talk to you when you're ready. And we grieve the Spirit, and we quench the Spirit, and we stop the Spirit's work in our lives, and then we just start doing what the world does because we're not willing to obey what we know. So we absorb the truth one drip at a time. We engage truth seekers and truth tellers, and we live the truth we already know. I think this is where we are today, folks. We need to revive some things in our lives that are dead. There's some truth we knew, and it's time it is revived. And we need to replace some things that need to die. We need to revive some things in our life that are dead and replace some things that need to die. God wants us to be a discerning group. He does not want us to simply fall for the world, the flesh, and the devil. When are we going to follow wholeheartedly after him? Father God, our prayer today is that you would transform us. And I know I'm not a fool. There are those today saying, when is he going to shut up? There are those that feel offended. There are those that, that just think I'm nuts. But the truth is they're saying you're nuts and your word is crazy. Lord, I pray that we would align ourselves with the word of God and not the ways of the world. Help us to be discerning people, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Wow, I messed up. Hurry, run, run fast. My clock says 9.56. I don't know how in the world I did that. This says I talked for 30 minutes, which means the pregame must have gone a lot further than I thought. So, can you guys sing really fast? You're doing such great songs.
But I know, I know Jason can bring the speed when necessary. <laughs> don't, don't make him sing too fast. Ryan will faint. The poor kid is tired. The, these are just, stand up and celebrate. Let's sing. Let's sing. search the world but it couldn't fill me hands empty praise the treasures that fade are never enough but you came along put me back together 
And here is our prayer as we walk into a sin-soaked world. Help us to be aware that there is drip all the time. A drip that is trying to change our minds. A drip that is trying to get us to evolve. A drip that is trying its best to cause even us who claim to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ to say, Jesus, we know better. Move over. I'll take that throne right now. Lord God, let the right drip come into our minds, the drip of your word. Let songs like this drip into our minds. Let, let us drive down Hansel Road with blasting louder and louder so that our hearts will be convinced of the truth. And even as we walk through a world that is so just absolutely perverted in terms of truth, we will know that we walk in truth because we walk with you and you are truth. You are truth. Oh God, we pray that you would raise up in this place a generation of people, not that would scream the truth at everybody else, but that would believe the truth themselves. And that that would be transformative. And God, I pray it for our kids. Because they had that spiritual high of being away, but now they're back in it. Don't let them turn back to the old junk. Help them to know the truth, walk the truth, and live in the truth. Protect their hearts and minds, we pray in Christ Jesus. How we love you. Thank you for letting us sing to you and listen to you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Class dismissed.